So um, what were we talking about? White supremacy. Yeah. So <laughs> white supremacy. So people. So wait. People have DM'd you and called you a racist. Oh man, all the time, all the time. It's uh, it's quite comical. You know, I'm um, I let it be known that I'm not against white people at all, but I am against white supremacists because they are against me. Well, so, yeah. Look, I'm a Jew, dude. White supremacists don't think I'm white either, you know? Yeah. I um, mean, you look I, like them, though, so they'll, uh, they'll accept you a little bit more than me. So, yeah, sort of. I got a Star of David <laughs> tattoo on my shoulder, right? So it's, yeah. uh, you know, it is it is what it is. I, I think, though, I was I brought this up before we, like, started filming. Um, I think white supremacy is always bad. or like it's, There's never going to be a point where white supremacy is not going to be a problem. Like, it'll always be a glaring problem. Well, but I don't think it really, like, exists at the rate of prevalency that it used to exist. I think it's like, I think the concept of white supremacy or people believing that they are superior to you because of your skin color or their skin color is, is dying. And I think that that, that is a good thing, but the media is trying to keep propping it up and propping it up, which I think is being done for very like bad purposes, you know? Well, you got to understand why the media is trying to prop it up. It must be still a lot of people that still believe it, right? Because at the end of the day, the media, they have a lot of power. You got to ask who owns the media because my thing my thing is if I own a media company, there's certain things that we're not going to go into because I'm like, you know what, that's that's not true or wait if that's what I really want to be out there, yes, you know, I want to be known. So, you know, the thing with white supremacy is that it's it's a it's it's become an elite thing too. It's an elitist. I think it's classism more than racism now. Yeah, I think yeah. it's classism, and I think yeah. that the people that like are. Um, trying to pitch the white supremacy narrative are probably the biggest white supremacists that exist. Is I, what I, I think. believe so. I believe so because basically what it does, it kind of shuns the light off of them. And because think about it on Twitter and places like that, when I have conversation and I have a lot of white friends, that sounds familiar, white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of, a lot of buddies that happen to be white. You know, a lot of teammates and things of that nature. And when I talk to them, I try to tell them, say, you got to look at it this way. Uh, in order for somebody to be like, it, there must be somebody inferior if you believe that you need to be superior over somebody. Because I don't walk out the house and say, whew, I'm, I'm an athlete. I'm a top athlete. I'm so superior over the non-athlete. So I'm going to try to rule over them today. Like something has to be clearly wrong with me. And I must be inferior to, to think that way. Yeah. And I don't think everybody thinks that way. I just think it's a certain group which actually have a lot of money and a lot of, you know, power behind the scenes. And in order for them to stay elite, they must keep it like that for some odd reason. I don't know what it is. So, so what do you think about the BLM movements? To be honest, when it became when when, it, when BLM came out, 99 percent of black people really were just like, hey. Black Lives Matter. My life matters just like anybody else. We never thought of it as an organization. It's, it's still not an organization. You know, it's, it's a, and that's the thing. Who made it an organization? Did we really, did, did someone black really make an organization? Or you got to say, who's funding an organization? You, you start to do more research, you realize, like, wait a minute. You have white people funding a Black Lives Matter movement. So and what's they're the going biggest, on And they're the biggest donors, like George Soros, Bill Gates, yeah. like the, the, the um, 
you know, the Tim Cook, like all these like multinational tech conglomerates. Like, did you watch the NBA uh, bubble a little bit at all last year, this summer? No, I, I just fell out of love with it, man. Yeah. I just went out the fans in the stands. I like to hear that crowd roar, and after that, I just it I is kind of weird, right? I just can't, I can't get get used to it. And listen, I'm also I'm a you know I grew up in New York. I'm a big Knicks fan, so it's been hard to watch basketball oh, yeah, for a long time yeah. anyway. But you know that being said, like once in a while you'll catch a game at like a bar or a restaurant, right? And you'll see like the Black Lives Matter sticker on the court, but then you see like the Uber logo right next to it, and like Uber's literally known for exploiting their drivers, union busting, lobbying the state to not pay the drivers a fair wage, oversaturating the roads, creating a model of business that makes it impossible for the people who drive for these companies to make a fair living, and they put small taxi cab and other transportation companies out of business. And it's like, oh, your logo is right next to the BLM logo. It's kind of mm -hmm. like the uh, that's kind of the opposite of what that movement is supposed to represent, right? Yeah, it's. I think it's. I think it's. It's become a gimmick, and that's what. It, that's what white supremacists really wanted it to happen. That's kind of how they. It's like you dilute it. You know, if you keep, if you say, you know what, I want some alcohol today, but if you dilute it with water, you're not gonna get as drunk. You know, I'm not gonna yeah. get as buzzed. So, what you do is you dilute it down. You know, you put more water in it. You we call it whitewashing. <laughs> you you whitewash it. You know, and that's exactly what what happened. So now it's kind of a joke, and people don't take it serious. And where 99% of the black people are still saying, like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. My life does matter. I, I happen to be black, but, yeah, my life does matter. I don't care about no organization. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, I, I fully agree with you. Um, and, and it's almost like – this is my opinion, right? And it's almost like these um, protests, riots, the civil unrest, the – conflicting narrative about how that doesn't spread COVID, but going to an anti-lockdown protest or going to a restaurant does, you know, like all of those factors together, it's almost like it just created more racism and more division instead of actually getting people like me and you to talk with one another about, all right, well, you know, there are a lot of like um, serious inequalities that black people face. How do we actually fix them in an actionable manner? No one's talking about that. Everyone's just at each other's throat. It's almost like that was by design. I, I think it was all by, I think, again, Nothing, nothing happens without white supremacists because, again, these people have power. And I have to always tell my white friends again, like, hey, they don't care about you either. <laughs> you know, like, think about it. Who fought in the Civil War? It was white folks on white people. So it was white supremacists against white people. And I'm pretty sure you just never know. It could have been someone on the other side, too. Right. But my thing is why, like. There you got to understand, like there is a, it's a class, like it's an elite thing. That's a class thing. And it's it's spiraling down to the racisms and all other stuff. Yeah, it, it's it's nuts. It's and then you know, um, if you look at how these protests are devolving, like you see what's happening in Minnesota, you see what's happening in like Wisconsin, you see what's happening in the Midwest right now. It's like it's almost like you got riot season part two. What happens eventually when that happens? The military comes in to replace the police. Like you can possibly get martial law. Like you know, you have a system, right? I think prior to COVID, prior to BLM, it felt like it was a powder keg, right? And the powder keg is popping. But it's like, okay, now that the powder keg is exploding, like, what do you do to change this? Do you change the system in, like, a way that benefits, that becomes, like, a pro-human future? Or do you change the system in a way that just centers more power into a group of elites? And it feels like the narrative is being done to take this, to take what's happening and further centralize power for a group of elites. I think that everything that's going on right now is an experiment. Like, I feel like... The normal folk, which is at what no matter what race you are, you know, if you don't have that type of power and and, and you know contacts, I feel like you you're part of an experiment. And I think that thing I know about America is when America have a rule, they don't necessarily go back to normal. That becomes a new norm. 
So now it's become the now I'm feeling I'm feeling weird if I walk down the street without a mask on and people looking at me like I'm crazy and and I'm just like whatever. Yeah. You should be also be glad that you live in Texas and you don't live in like New York or California or like Philadelphia where people will literally walk my sister lives in Philly and me and my sister, we don't even really talk that much anymore because of certain like um, political disagreements that we have and, and that's sad. Yeah, you know, it's sad. It's sad. It's families um, being ripped up over stupidity. Yeah, that's yeah. really what it is. It's um, stupidity. And you know, we were talking about this mask stuff, and she said that like, yeah, if you're walking like, if you're walking around without a mask, people will avoid you. Like, I'll avoid you like the plague because you know. Or she was saying that, hey, we're in Philadelphia where the civilized people with intelligent with brains are at because we actually wear masks. And I'm like, wow, you got that is the saddest thing I've ever heard. Um, and you follow like local politics, right? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. yeah, a little bit. Do you know who Chris Harris is? No, I don't. Chris Harris is our public safety commissioner. Okay. Right? And he is almost like, and there's this other guy named Chaz Moore, um, head of the Austin Justice Coalition, right? And these guys are like almost like the poster boys for like these, the, the BLM movements in Austin. Like, that's my opinion, right? Okay. Uh, whether or not they're like directly affiliated with the organizations, I don't know. But they feel like they're the poster boys for um, what the movement wants. You said, right? What was the second name you said? Uh, Chaz Moore. Is he the one that was walked on at UT? No, Chaz Moore is Austin Justice Coalition. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Austin had, um, and one of the things that Chris Harris said a few weeks ago when Abbott lifted the mask mandate was that you can tell who's racist versus who's not racist based on who's wearing their mask. Is this a black guy? Is it was a, a black guy? guy who said that. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say with that. Yeah, he's, you know, when it comes to somebody being black and they say some, some silly stuff, we just take that up on our own and say, you know what, just don't mind him. He don't know any better. <laughs> and just ignore that dude because I don't know what he's talking about. You know, so, yeah, that's – again, I don't agree with everything. If you black, that doesn't mean I'm just going to agree with you either. I'm, I, I, I'm going – I agree with whatever's the truth. You know, I, and, yeah, that's, and that's yeah, definitely yeah. not the truth. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I also think that when, when you start making people wear masks or you start normalizing that – you um, cut off communication. And the more you cut off communication, the more you create division, the more you create isolation, yeah. the more you actually create these feelings of white supremacy. And so it's almost like everything that they're doing with like shutting people in their homes, not letting people communicate, um, making people wear masks, masks, having vaccine arguments over a virus that has like a less than 1% death rate, it's being done to deliberately create this narrative of white supremacy that, that these people almost want to bring back. You know what, man? I never thought that when COVID would come that it would cure the flu. Yeah. <laughs> I have not heard of the flu anymore. Have you heard of the no, flu? No, it's, it's, it's been eradicated. I never thought that COVID would eradicate the flu. But I guess it's maybe because people are wearing masks. That's what they're going to tell you. It's like, well, it's because I'm wearing my mask. I never got the flu. So if that's the case, then why doesn't it take care of COVID? Right? If we all still wearing the mask. Why isn't COVID is being narrowed down? I don't know. I think that it's kind of sad that nobody ever talked about the importance of leading a healthy lifestyle when the majority of people, you know according to the CDC, had like serious pre-existing conditions. Man, we got a lot of fat butts out there. That's we really do, what yeah. it is. That's what it is, man. We got a lot of fat, mouth breathers, all right, that can't get out the bed in the morning. You got swollen feet all day long, swollen hands because they're just eating bad and just inflamed all over the place. And then they get mad at people like me who try to keep in shape and say, well, hey, I'm a healthy lifestyle, man. I don't – if I get it, I get it. But 
if I get it, I'm gonna be have a better chance to fight than you. Oh, 100. And have you seen like the arguments on Twitter about like gyms removing mask mandates, and everyone's like, "Oh, they're gonna kill us all." And I'm like, "No. How do you exercise and do intense? Like, you've never worked out a day in your life if you if you think it's okay to work out with that with a mask." That's on. Less, that like, lets you know <laughs> that how sedentary and a fat lifestyle that they have. Yeah. Like, and I like to be honest with people. Like, I'm gonna tell you exactly how it is. If you've been a fat butt, I'm gonna call you a fat butt. You know, they're just what you are. No, I um. I, I agree with you, dude. Like full, full on agree. So you were, um, you played for UT. You were an All American at UT, right? And you yep. had a five year career in the NFL. Yep. What was that experience like? It was great. You know, it was great, man. They worked us like we worked hard. I tell you that we worked hard, but we had a lot of fun. We partied hard too. Uh, the NFL was a little different. It's a lot more business, you know. But I had fun up there too. I was able to play for five years and. Make a healthy living and enjoy life. So let me let me ask you some some questions with that, right? Um, so you you look at how sports has gone, like all woke and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Did they like? How much did these people monitor what you like said? On like so, well, even though social media wasn't as big, right, when you were playing, I mean, you're still starting, but it yeah, wasn't as it big wasn't as today. Big, yeah. But like, how did how do they monitor that, or do you talk to like new like younger players in, in terms of like yeah, I coach, how they monitor? I coach a lot of the younger guys who's playing in the NFL now, and you know the thing about it, it's a different season. Like, the climate has changed. When more and more people talk up, it makes it okay to speak up. Yeah. So, it's the norm now. I mean, you have co- not only the players, you have coaches that are speaking up now. And so, it's, it's but, norm. But it's the norm but, now. But I, here's my, my thing, though, right, Tim? And it's that I think that it's just uh, – it's all top down, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, in the 1990s, if you spoke out against racism, you got blackballed. Oh, definitely. Right? Yep, like, definitely. if you were Colin Kaepernick in 2016. It was actually whiteball, but yeah. What, yeah. You know what I mean, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll okay, just mess okay. with yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you got canceled. Like, if you're Colin Kaepernick in 2016, agree or not, like, at least when Colin Kaepernick talked about why he was doing what he was doing, he sounded intelligent. Yeah. Right? Um, but now it's one of those things where it's, like, it's almost the opposite. Like, if you um, – support america and talk about how much you love america mm-hmm. they'll almost try to cancel you or like um if you are um if, if you protest lockdowns mm-hmm. they'll try to cancel you if you you know say that you don't want to get the vaccine they'll try to cancel you if you um question the um intentions of what the blm movement is really about they'll try to cancel you so it's almost like People are speaking out, but there's just a different top-down approach versus people actually really speaking their minds. Yeah, with this council thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I get you what you say. It's just with this, my thing is, like, how can you counsel me, man? I'm still living. Now, if I'm dead, I'm dead. All right, I get that kind of counsel, but, like, how can you really counsel me if I'm still living? I get you can try to censor me That's and all I mean. that. Okay, That's censor. I mean. Like, okay. cancel in quotation. Like, okay, yeah, okay, because yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, how yeah. can you, you know. It's just the whole, like, cancel culture narrative, like, you Whatever, know. man. It's, it's, I think it's silly. I think, I think it's really silly. And like, I think man, that. People need to speak up and, you know, if you have an opinion and if you can back it up with facts, speak up about it. And you know that something is wrong. You know, it's like, I'm sorry, I've always been the guard dog. I've never been a bully. I've never been a sheep. Definitely not a sheep. No, 100%. You know, just where I, the way I was raised, you just can't be no sheep. You're going to have to fight up for yourself. But one thing I just despise is wolves. Like, I, I've always been that kid that if you see, I see you bullying somebody, like, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to act weak a sheep just so I can fight you. I've always been that kind of guy, you know? So it is what it is, you know? So I just, all this, I'm kind of like the guard dog. You know, I go after people. If I see that you put something out there and if I feel like you're lying to people and misleading people, I'm going to say something about it. I'm going to get involved because you're lying, you know, and, and you need to be exposed. So this is just the way I've always been. 
No, that's a, that, that's a good thing. Um, I think that it's it's really dangerous, though, that they're trying to paint people who, like, are against the masks or paint people who are, like, don't want to take the vaccine, you know, paint people who are, like, conscious about what they put into their body yeah. as racist. Like, they're literally trying to do that, and I think that the best way to combat that, because that's the biggest misinformation that you've ever heard, that, 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 that's the biggest misinformation scam that exists, I think. Um, the best way to combat that is you got to get everybody, you got to talk to everybody, and publicly have these discussions to literally prove these people wrong. And I think one of the- Why, why would they do that? That would mess up the narrative, right? What do you the, mean? Why, why would they want to get everybody together and we have a conversation? Oh yeah. Because the, then they would get proven wrong. Exactly. And they would get they exposed ex and then everybody in the whole world would see it because it would be recorded. Yeah. They don't want nothing like that. They don't that want that shit. No, they, do they, don't want want, that. they don't want that to happen. They want to hide behind somewhere and, and give a little bit of information say, hey, you know, yeah. Put the mask out. Put you know. Put it. Put it right. Wear two masks. Wait. What the? Wear two masks. They're telling people to get vaccinated for COVID who've already had the virus. Like that. That's not how vaccines work. Like this is this is you know <laughs> one thing. One thing I always tell my athletes. I always tell them. I say you know well, listen to your instincts, your intuition, common sense, whatever what you want to call it. Listen to it because it's always right. This is when I knew something was wrong. So when the COVID hit, you know my dad. I credit my dad a lot for this because he's a country guy. East Texas, and he told me, he said, I said, you going to get all this? He's like, no, nah, I'm not really worried about it. And I was, he was like, well, he said, this is when you know something's wrong. He said, when you heard her, he said, when you see the birds stop flying, the rabbits stop hopping, all right, and uh, squirrels stop jumping from tree to tree, when you don't see no more of them, that's when you know it's bad. He said, if you see the animals outside, he said, because they're the closest to nature. And we gotten away from that as humans. And I knew something was wrong when I put that mask on and my nose clogged up. I said, wait a minute, I can't breathe. What? My, I can't, I'm getting snotty nose. I got to blow my nose with the mask on. I knew something then was not right, so I took it off. Yeah, it, may, well, it makes no sense. I talked to my sister about this too, and she's called me a science denier. And I'm like, I was in an airplane. Me and my, my uh, girlfriend went to Miami, went to, to Colorado these past couple months, right? Mm -hmm. Um and like I had to wear that mask for like six, seven hours, like while I'm on the plane, while I'm at I the cheat, airport. man. I well, cheat yeah, with so it. I try I. to I put take... it like down there a little well, bit. Well, I, I just have water. I just put water in my hands and stuff, and yeah. you know, I try to do that. But it's like, dude, I couldn't breathe. Like I was losing my air supply. Yeah, like my brain felt foggy. And the the World Economic Forum tried to like beta test this new mask that monitors whether you're short on oxygen. So I'm like, if they have to create a sensor to monitor whether you're short on oxygen, obviously wearing a mask for a long period of time it's not right. Like messes with your air supply yeah, and your oxygen tank. Like that's just they, it's proving they're proving themselves they're proving us correct yeah. um, when they do that. But it's like, you know, if you say that prolonged mask wearing is oppressive, all of a sudden now you got white privilege or you're, you're a racist or something like that. If, like that's, if, that mask, that's what makes if, me so fucking mad, bro. You know what I mean? If, if mask was such a big deal, why wouldn't everybody just get a pillowcase and wrap it around their face? Why can't, and, or it's, here's Doesn't that too. suffocate you? Same, yeah. Listen, right? <laughs> listen, I, you know, you want to cover your face for COVID, right? So why can't I go into a store and just do this? Like, exactly. What's the difference? Like, why can't I just put my hand, my, my face in my shirt if I'm around somebody who's like vulnerable? Like, it makes no sense I call what's them happening. The, the 99 man, it's a 99 percent sheep. That's what they are, and they got and they have and they have influence. It's like we live in a society where sheep have influence because they really don't have to worry about the wolves because the wolves are scared of them because there's too many sheep. Kind of right. <laughs> kind, yeah. I Although mean, I think it's, it's not so bad in Austin. It's not so bad in Austin. You think it is because of social media? 
But when I'm downtown, no, like actually, no, no, it's not. It's not, it's not bad so bad here. It's actually pretty good here. Like I give rides. I have a Captain America mask on that doesn't cover my nose. Austin, like, Austin is still a hippie, yeah. man. So it's still a hippie still, at the core. Despite our city council trying to destroy it, Austin is surviving. It's a very resilient. Yeah, city. We got it, man. A lot of the, the, the foreigners, man, they need to. When they move down here, they gotta adopt the laws that are here. They gotta, you know, just the way we live. If you don't like it, go back to where you came from. Dude, I agree. That's the reason you came out here, because you probably messed up. Where where were you at, right? No, I, I agree. I don't think you should turn <laughs> Austin into the place that you left it. No, it makes no sense. No. makes no sense at all. Like, I grew up in New York. Everything I had in New York, I left it there. Yep. Left it there. Like, I don't want to ever um, – I don't want Austin to be like New York in any capacity. And uh, that may there may be some problems in terms of how the city is with certain issues that maybe New York doesn't have. I don't care. you, you got to love and embrace the city for what it is. Mm -hmm. I've been in New York several times, and I don't like it either. And I can't wait to get back to get back to Texas, period, because it's just too crowded for me. You know. Yeah. Did you see, hear about that like private school that like wants to teach like undoing white supremacy and all this critical race theory stuff? And it's like a sixty thousand dollar a year private school to want to have lessons that focus on privilege. And I'm like, bro, if you really are that worried about privilege, why are you sending your kid to a sixty thousand dollar a year private school? Yes. Right. It's crazy. I mean, it's. <laughs> My thing, I just want to have a forum with like white supremacists and just ask them like, what? How did you get this way? Like, you know, what? Are, what are you? Good luck finding them though, because like I said, and I and I don't want to counsel anybody. If yeah. you, I just want to have a conversation, and I never, I've always asked about that, and I just never get any answers back. But I would just love to have a conversation. Like, oh, if you racist, I'm not gonna put you on blast. I want to know why. Why do you what, feel that way? Yeah, why do you feel that way? Like, what, did something happen? Did you have a bad experience with somebody black? Or I mean, That could be a thing, though. I don't, like you know, that, I don't that, know what happened. I'm but, just curious what happened. But that could be a thing, though, right? Or, like, you know, if you got ripped off by Bernie Madoff, and I'm saying this is a Jew, right? Like, if, if you got scammed by Bernie Madoff, you might not like Jewish people, right? Like, so it, it's one of those things where, like, yeah, sometimes one bad experience or a couple of bad experiences could definitely, like, skew your perception. It could. You like, you ever, like, I'm sure you've had, like, girlfriends that have, like, fucked you over, right? Mm, no, not too many. I'm sure your teammates or somebody you know yeah, has had girlfriends. Yeah. You being in the NFL, <laughs> have had girl like yeah. you've had teammates that have gotten taken advantage of and railroaded by fucking women. Like I know how that shit well, works they was, they in was, pro they sports. Were simps. You know yeah, I, you know? I know what that is. I know <laughs> yeah, okay. what that is. I understand that. They just they um, never been used to having anything, so you know. Yeah, and then and when then they, they finally have, get a, a beautiful woman, they just. Oh my gosh! I, I'm gonna give you everything, and Which she just runs. She runs game like, on them. Okay, but then also if you're like an elite level athlete, you're probably you know, cleaning up all through high school too, you'd think, right? No, no, it's a lot of dudes that was ugly. And so all what, of a though, sudden, once, a... They, once they get money, man, they got pretty all of a sudden. But wait a minute, okay, wait a minute. Money makes you pretty, you didn't all know right. that? Yeah, I know that, but so does being good, at, <laughs> so does being talented. But it's nothing like money, though. Yeah, but you don't think like some stud, some like stud lineman or some stud linebacker, like in high school that's getting all these you know what? offers is like it's, it's banging cheerleaders. It's, like, you know? it's potential that makes you pretty. Yeah. It's the potential of making money. Yeah. But, you know? but that's what I mean. Though. I feel like a lot of these. That's what, um, that's, a lot. But it's just human nature, though. Women gonna women choose guys that are very uh, sure about themselves, that act like men. You know, they don't want a little punk running around. You no, know, they I, want a I guy agree. Act like they want a dude that's gonna bring out their femininity. That's all. I 100. No matter how much they may hate that guy, they call him. They call them bad boys and toxic masculinity. All just, that shit. Yeah, but yeah. they love them because like, it's like, it. dude, that brought out my womanhood. Yeah, you know? and I think that it really ha it, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with like how badass or how tough you are. It's just about just being genuinely self confident yep. in who you just are. Just a nice and being, person like, and, and just yeah, speaking just, the truth and standing on your stand on your own team and stand standing your ground to the best of your abilities. Right, like that. That's that's. It's not 
like it's not that difficult, right? Or no. it's 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 difficult for a lot. It's difficult, but, yeah. but I mean, in terms of like getting pretty girls to like you, that's really all you have to do, and it becomes a lot. Of, a lot of these things that you think are difficult become easier. You just don't chase them. Don't chase it. No, don't chase anything. <laughs> don't chase, chase your dreams. Chase your dreams. They'll come to you. Yeah. Uh, me and my girl have been together for like four years and change. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, I broke up in in in. Yeah. Break up any? No. Okay, good. We've had like fights where I almost broke up with her. Yeah. But we haven't like I've never said, Hey, I need a break from you. Like we haven't had that yet. Well good. Um Well, my wife and I, we've been married for eleven years. Well, congratulations. Good man, yeah. We we've had our ups and downs, but we've had a lot of ups more than downs. Yeah. You know, we're both stubborn people, I get it. But that's probably what makes us go too. So Exactly. You you it gotta have people is. that are gonna be there for you no matter what the circumstances are. And I'll tell you this, man, like, um, I, so when I first met my girl, I was like getting ready to fight and I, um, you know, we were just hanging out like once a week, twice a week, just, you know, hooking up and stuff. Right. And she was cool and we got along really well and I liked hanging out with her, but I wasn't thinking about like wanting a girlfriend. I just wanted to, I was thinking about my fight. Right. That's mm-hmm. all I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got into this car accident mm-hmm. and I told my car, nothing happened to me. I was fine. Mm-hmm. But she drove like 30 miles out of her way to like come get me and make me help me get to work. Wow. And so I'm like, oh, maybe you got to like rethink how you see this girl. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, that kind of like changed my perception because I was like pretty jaded about like chicks in Austin because like I had girls like dump me on my birthday a couple times. I've had like, you know, what I've noticed like dating girls in Austin. Right. And this is going off track, but like they only like you when things are good. See, there you go. That's not no. All Austin girls not like that. But exactly, they're not. They're not. But but because <laughs> you generalize it, man. Right. And what I'm saying though is because I had a couple of bad experiences. Oh, I was, okay, I got you. I was generalizing. Yeah, you Because right. whenever you have a bad experience, people tend to generalize like psych- psychologically because they have a bad experience. Mm-hmm. So it's like you ever have that that kid who gets like his heart broken in high school by some chick because he was like he was like a simp or he just got his heart broken or maybe this girl's a bad person or whatever the the situation is. It's and then they go five years and then they they spend like the next five years treating women like shit at the club. But, you know that, but like, that's his own. That's his own inferiority. Duh. That's where. That's where the white supremacist thing. No comes shit. Back, right. I agree with you. What I'm saying though yeah. is that a personal experience could have a really lasting impact on how you view society and Especially view other people. Especially at certain points of your life. Yes. So that's what I. That, that's what I'm trying to. That, that's how I'm trying to bring it like full circle. Yeah, that was good. So it's like, all right, man. Like, hey, you know. You got you got some girl who tried to get pregnant because you're a fucking multimillionaire athlete, yeah. and now you're stuck paying a massive child support, but you can't see your kid because the court system is fuck completely fucked towards guys, right? Like we mm-hmm. all know that. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden, like that guy's got a really jaded approach to women, and he he may experience that, right? Yeah, you're right. So it's like, oh, that just changed your philosophy on women, or it's like, hey man, like I was in high school and I got, you know, I got jumped by these three black kids. That kid might not like black people for a couple years. You're right. You know, like that just might be something that happens, right? And and I don't agree with it, but I'm saying that individual circumstances definitely change how you view things. That's why I try to treat everybody with dignity, no matter what, no matter what race you are. Because I say, you know what? I've had people, white people, Mexican people, whoever, I've had them just be ugly out out front with me. And then I just say, you know what? You have a nice day. Yeah. And then it just like. It's kind of like it like breaks the spell that they had over them. And I've had people come back and apologize, and they'll see me again. But like, you know what, man? You were so nice to me the other day, and I was just a jerk, and I, I apologize. I'm just like, well, all right, well, good, man. Just hopefully, hopefully that you don't treat everybody like that anymore. Hopefully that helps you. Yeah. So I've, I've, been, I've had that happen a few times. Yeah, I do, I do my best. You know, I, I like if, if someone's going to yell or scream me or get in my face, like, hey, look, if you want to escalate, we, we can make that happen. But I'm going to do my best to not 
escalate oh, man, that, right? I don't want I don't want to fight nobody. I don't man. either. I don't either. Like I'm no, gonna my, do my, my best. Hopefully my fighting day is over. Yeah, with. I'm gonna do my absolute best to like not let it get to that point. Or to like just try to be pleasant, be polite, be cordial. Like try to deescalate. I, yeah, de-escalate. pull them to the side. That's my thing. Side, I just yeah. I'll pull it. I'll pull you to the side. If I see it's getting like that and you got a crowd of people, I say, you know what, man, just can we just go talk to the side? If, and I and I, you know, I, I kill him with the passive aggressiveness, you know. Yeah. So right. I say, you know what, man, this is if you're a real man, like you say you are pretending to be, let's go to the side and go talk. Now, yeah. Now, and when we walk in together, I'm like, hey, if we gonna take it further. We'll take it further over here, but let's just talk first. See what we really, what this is really about. Yeah, it ain't about being a punk. I'm not a punk. I know you're not a punk either. So what, you know? So uh, most times it's squashed. I haven't had one of those moments in a long time though. Yeah, so. I haven't either. I, I, things have been pretty cool and pretty chill yeah. and stuff like that. I think it, your temperament changes too. Yeah. Um, yo, but how? Um, have you managed your money well? Like since you retired and stuff? Yeah, I did pretty well. I did pretty well. I. Uh, you, you have know? a company. Yep. Tell us about the company. So you have a company that like helps train kids to be to like go to the next level, and you do a lot of stuff with injury prevention, from what yeah. I've read. Yeah. So uh, I own a company called Nuclear Athletes. So it's a focus on athletic training, uh, athletic performance, uh, speed development. Uh, we have mainly football athletes. I play football. That's like my niche. But I've trained track athletes. I've developed a 400 meter state champion before. Uh, I've coached cricket athletes. I've cricket. coached. I've coached a couple of softball, of volleyball. I mean, I've you know, once you understand strength and conditioning and the way the body moves and how to make it better, you can coach anybody. I can I can coach the mild breathers too. I just I'd rather not to because you got the best though. You got to help yourself before I would do. Hey, what but you they know. do pay the best. I I was a health club trainer in New York City before I moved here, mm-hmm. and those those sedentary desk jockeys they they got the money. Well, it's not about the money to me. I, I'm just saying. So I'm, just, I'm just saying they have. They do have the you money. Know, it's a. I've kind of got a little cult following. That guy. You know, some some parents they always say you have like a cult following, but it's just that I don't take any BS. I want the best from you. I'm on. I'm gonna do everything I can to make you great. So I expect you to do that for yourself. If you don't do that, I will say you know what. Let's just cut it. You don't want to be great. Go do something else. It's not for you. And that, you know, that hurts some people. Like, dang, I am really – he just really told me the truth. I've yeah. never had that happen before. Dude, <laughs> so. I uh, – hey, man, you're, pre, you're speaking my language. Like, I actually just bought a pedicab um, for myself, and um, I uh, sent, my, sent money. I, I bought a permit for the cab, and um, once I get the insurance and stuff, I'm going to be ready to lease it. And the only people I want to lease that cab to are kids with, like, actual big dreams to improve their position in life. Like, I would rather let that cab go empty than give it to somebody that doesn't want to, like, grow and use yep. that as an opportunity to, like, advance where they're at. Mm-hmm. You Definitely. know, like, so I, I feel the same way, dude. Like, I want whatever I have. I, I want everything that's an extension. I want that everything I own to be an extension of me yeah. or extension of how I'm feeling or how I want to grow. So that that's – I think it's important, man. you got to facilitate positivity and you got to facilitate growth. Um, I think one of the things, like, with this whole, like, BLM stuff that very few people have been talking about is the importance of, like – creating a financially literate um, black community. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's that's one of the things is that, but you know, you got to get to the root of it. It's like, okay, why do they need to be like that? Like who's who's holding it? Is it is it because of them? Or is it because somebody's holding it against them every time they try to do something financially? We've had, we've had plenty of black Wall Streets throughout history. You, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, you know, North Carolina, I mean, all over the place, my hometown. Wait, Tyler had a black Wall Street? Oh, yeah. What? I want to hear that. Tell, tell me about so that. So, basically, it was a place called, they call it the Cut. Okay. Down there. So, uh, my grandmother, my dad told me about it. 
And if you look at it now, it looks all run down. But my dad used to tell me, so you just, you have no idea what this used to be. And so we had, you had grocery stores, black owned. You had banks, black owned. You've had theaters, black owned. Uh, barbershops, hospitals, all black owned. And I said, what happened? He said, integration. He said, that's what happened. He said, he said, they know now that everything that's, if any law is passed, it's because somebody white wanted to be passed in their favor. He said, because what happened is, and black people fell for it, of course, it was, it's part of it is our fault, is that when, when she, they, the way he explained, he said, they had things that was, for instance, pedicabs and stuff. You know, the, the people, the white people may not have those things. So if they wanted that, they would have to come to the black community. Now, the black community can't go out there and buy, but they could always come over there and buy. So they would try to buy things and then try to remake it, you know, in, in their way and put their stamp on it. But it really came from over there. Yeah. So what happened is, is that it was competition, you know, and, and the white and you got to understand East Texas is a very segregated place. Still is in a lot of areas. So it be. They didn't like the competition. It's, it's as far as a, it was an economic thing. So, of course, you know, you got your white mobs, which consist of police officers, politicians, normal people, you know, and they, they burn it down at night. They, they burn, they they burn actually, churches. Oh, yeah. Burn. Wait, during integration or pre-integration? Because that could have just happened. That, that Burning something down doesn't have to do with integration, though. Well, yes, it does, because this is, this is how it has something to do with it. So this is why... That's what I said. It's a higher power. The elites was thinking ahead of time. Because I'm sure, sure a lot of the people that was just white supremacists but didn't have any power, that's like, no, we don't want to integrate. We don't want, that's why, we, that's why they, you see pictures of them, you know, random white people spitting on four and five year old children going into school at a white predominantly school for the first time, which is just, just disgusting. I, it's, disgusting I, just, yeah. I just don't understand, like, what will push a per person to that point to spit on a five year old. Yeah, that's disgusting. Like, why would you? Over like it's just like where's the humanity in you? Yeah, that, that's disgusting. That's <laughs> you know, disgusting. so it's just one of those things. So it just the reason is it's because okay, they're starting to get too powerful. Black people, that's what I'm talking about. They get they get their own economic base. In order for white supremacy to exist, the people that are the non-whites must depend on it, right? So it's like a pedicab. In order for pedicab to exist. You must have people that need to ride in it. Yeah, agreed. So if you don't have nobody to ride in it, if everybody got their own cab, what does that do to pedicab? It, it dies. Well, that's it, what that, 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 that <laughs> right? Uber almost killed pedicabbing because of that. Right? Yeah. So that's the reason why a lot of black-owned businesses fail. Or they don't get the loans. They have to go through the banks. They have to go through the black, the white banks now. Oh, cause because they didn't have black banks, right? Yeah, exactly. So did they actually used to have black banks back in the day? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Pre-integration. Pre it was a big deal. We had our own schools, all of that. So then, look at all these HBCUs, historical black college universities, right? Yeah. Do you know that the majority of them, all of them, was privately owned back in those times? In order to be privately owned, right? You have to have money. You have to have a lot of money from who? Those people. So they were making a lot of money. They had more millionaires in those days and those in that time frame than what they have today. As oh, far the as HBCUs. Overall. Some about black people in general. There were more black millionaires in the 1950s and 60s than there are. Earlier than that. 20s. All of that. 10s. Well, I know Harlem was like super vibrant in like the 1920s. I mean, you got to like think that, about too. it. Like all those places were like once vibrant places where everybody would go hang out at. So those people was – every. think about it. If you want to go to the best parties, you want to go 
Cause you pretty, you know that there was some white people. Was like, hey, I'm cool with my buddies over there in Harlem, man. They got the best clubs, the nightclubs, and you know they was going there. Yeah, they're why, not gonna say, you, and they they aren't saying no whites allowed because the white people have the money. Exactly. They're letting them in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they was coming over there to have a party. And they had some great beer and whatever else over there. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they was brewing their own beer. What's the guy? Sam Adams just came out. It was a black guy that was really behind this stuff. What? <laughs> Was, is it Sam Adam or is it another one? I don't know. I never heard that story. That's yeah, but it's. I may be wrong. I may be wrong, but it, it's definitely one of the main ones that come to find out. And he told the truth that it was a black person, his friend, that was behind making a liquor. It's one of those famous names that everybody knows. I just can't think of it right now in my mind. But it's a famous, I mean famous, famous uh, liquor or wine, whatever it is. But it was a black guy that was actually making it. And he just, you know, took the name. Dude, that is. But it was his friend, though. That is fascinating. Yeah, it was this, his this friend. One, this is. I, I like just want to listen to you talk about this. This is, this is fascinating stuff. But so, that's why I'm glad we conversate because a lot of white people don't know this. Yeah. Right? It's like I was talking to my buddy earlier before I came here. Is if I'm t- I'm been talented my whole life, right? Yeah. I have no idea what it feel like feel like to be non-athletic, right? Yeah. Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels. Oh shit. <laughs> Charlie with the fact check. <laughs> Jack Daniels, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. That's, as I said, it's well-known, right? So, like I said, I'm not going to spoo anything if, if it's not true. Yeah, I've yeah, done my yeah, research. So, the thing about it is I've been talented my whole life, right? Okay. So, I have no idea what it feels like to be non-talented or to non-athletic. Yes, non-athletic, yes, right? Yes. So, when a person comes to me and say, hey, you have the privilege, because I had this happen to me when I started coaching. And that's made me, like, revamp my mind, right? So, I had a parent was like, hey – you 6'4", 200 and whatever, you fast, you can run, you're athletic, you're agile, you can, you get great hand out. It's easy for you, but it's not that for my kid or, or these kids. So you can't coach them all the same because it wasn't you. I was a privilege to my own talent. I didn't know how I felt to not have talent. Yeah. And then I had to take a step back and say, man, she, she's absolutely right. You know, like I – Everybody's not talented. Like I, I was a, I had privilege, and people treated me differently because I've always had privilege. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I'm, uh, I'm racist against non-athletic people, right? Yeah. It's just that I'm, I have privilege. I think privilege <laughs> is a very wide-ranging um, concept, and people need to understand that it's yeah. wide-ranging. And you can mm-hmm. be privileged in one thing, and not be privileged in something else, and that just that privilege is a spectrum. That, yep. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. So, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of goes back. And I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, when you, when things happen, you don't hear white people speak up. Cause that's one of the things where I was like, why don't white people speak up? They know it's something wrong, but I'll try to tell them, say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You got to understand they don't know. Some of them really don't know that they have privilege because they've had it their whole life. That don't mean they're racist. That don't mean they're ignorant either. It just means that they're just unaware. Yeah, like I'm sure that my interactions with the cop might be a little different than your interactions. Yeah, you know. Like, yeah, and I'm sure that's the case. Every, every time a cop pulls me over, you know what I do? I have a big old laminated piece of paper with a big old white president or somebody on it. I try to stick it on the on the wall and say, hey, this, he's driving, not me. Well, I'm just kidding, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's this white guy's guy. It's like, hey, he's driving the car, not me, not me. He's driving, you know, take a break on me. But I'm sure that, like, being, like, 6'4", 260, 260 pounds, like, I'm sure cops are going to be a little more on edge talking to you than they might be talking to me. Why? Because they might they, they aren't trained well. No, that, no, I think somebody's that just, inferior. 
Okay, if somebody okay, if somebody big come up to me, it's like I'm not about to be like. Well, I know that. I know that. I understand. You know, that. that's that's. I feel like you're something deep down has caused you to be inferior. But you I have a it's a it's an inferiority with size or something. Oh, dude, I'm I'm you're not um we're not disagreeing. Like, yeah, I, I, you're mm-hmm. preaching the choir. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying though, like if you look at the psychological makeup of people that are, are in these departments, the fact that the training system is a little bit outdated. My last guest, he's a BJJ black belt. We talked about um how they're using systems that were around in like the 1970s and 80s, and you got jujitsu and you know MMA is, is like so popular now. They need to revamp how they train their officers. The officers aren't really like they're getting these watered down versions of scaled back versions of training that they pass on. It's a water down martial arts pyramid scheme is what what it is with training cops that being said man it's like oh shit i'm pulling i'm pulling over like this six foot four 250 pound black dude like some of those guys if they're not really well trained they may never have been in a fight in their entire life they may have been the kids that got their lunch money taken in high school dude factor all those things in like you might it might just be a little you might just have a different interaction than someone who's just like a regular like 170 pound unassuming white dude that's all i'm saying man but why don't they get like that if it's a big white guy though you think they feel just a little bit more comfortable because he's white? Uh, I think so. I think so. Maybe it. Yeah, I think that's probably it. I mean, I think, I think so. I think so. I think it could also could. It, you think it could also be like the way the media portrays black people? Y'all, duh. Yeah, they all in on it, man. You yeah, know? it's a, it's a system. It's a system, right? So it's like it's everywhere. Yeah. So like it's like a computer. It's just you open up another program, but it's still on the same internet, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's a system. Yeah, it's like I mean, how many um. You know what I think, man? Like I, we talk about the financial literacy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you gotta like, you gotta put money into like, you you know, every there's always an argument about like more government, less government, more funding, less funding. I think I think people are missing the point, and it's about reallocating how money gets spent. That's what I think. That's what I think people need to do. They need to reassess how we actually spend our money because people pay taxes, and you pay taxes to get a service. And we just gotta have a better say in what the service is. That being said, like one of these things that they gotta do, that you gotta financially educate people in, in like black neighborhoods. You have to. And I think part of that has to, part of that also has to do with what you talked about. How like a lot of these, they, you had these thriving communities that died because of that and because maybe of integration or whatever whatever it is right and you know integration edu- the, i'm not i'll make sure i say this there was some great things that happened yeah, from integration of course of course of course but from far as the economic base because think about it we wouldn't be having this discussion if it wasn't for integration yeah would we? think about yeah. this though when you look at you why why is there a chinatown why because they're segregating themselves yeah why is there a, you know mexico baby mexico there's little italy in new york yeah. little italy right because they did what that group of people segregated themselves yeah. away from everybody else because they understood their economic base. I don't know what happened to us. We stopped doing it. Well, I, I, I understand what a lot of things happened, you know, but you got to understand, like, why did, why did they allow them to do that? You know, so it, did they do that did, as far as the, the powers that be? Did they do that to say, you know what, we, we got to have these people fighting against each other, so we're going to let them have their little Italy but they definitely not going to have baby Africa over there. That's not happening because we saw what happened the last time and they, they took us out for as our businesses and we just not, they just not going to work anymore. They, we're not going to let them have any banks. We'll find some sanctions to bring up since we, since we control the laws and we make laws. So we'll figure some stuff out to get them to, to cut that off. And that's once again, case in point, why you need financial education specifically in black communities so they can understand that. Cause a lot of people don't understand that. Well, but you can have the financial literacy all you want, but, if Dana White says, hey, you're going to fight this guy because this is what your contract says, 
you're going to fight that guy or you're just going to lose your money, right? Well, sure, but um, financial literacy also determines what you do with your money. There was an NFL player who accepted um, his salary in Bitcoin. Did you hear about that? No, I haven't heard of it. There was a Seattle a player on the Seattle Seahawks who accepted his uh, money in Bitcoin. Well, that's great for him. And he his money doubled. Yeah, that's because great for him. yeah, so it's like, imagine you teach an entire imagine you start teaching black communities about cryptocurrency and investing in Bitcoin and NFTs and all that stuff. Like Nas made a hundred million dollars off of like cryptocurrency. <laughs> you know that's barely even being talked about in the news. Yeah, yeah. But why? Exactly why? why? Jay Z is a part <laughs> owner of the Brooklyn Nets. He's worth billions. And Why won't because you know what that does? That empowers us to go they don't, do they it. They don't want to actually do that. That's what I'm saying. They don't want to empower y'all. No, they, that will empower. If if we become empowered, guess what? White supremacists lose power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they the real, don't the, the real white supremacists are the, the, the heads of CNN and the heads of these major news networks. I'm, it's the, the, it's the, the yeah, it's those the, are the real white supremacists. Yeah, like, the guys uh, that go to Bilderberg and CFR yeah. and all that. Those are the real white supremacists, bro. Yeah, and it's, yeah whatever yeah, the, whatever Bilderberg they're, they're is. Slick, yeah, but they're slick though because they try to like. Make it so that if, if you believe in this stuff, they're trying to make you a white supremacist. And I'm like, yeah. no, we just know what's going on. Yeah. Like, And then they get people like, you know, people at the bottom or people like you and whoever else and say, you know what? We're doing this for you. Like, we're doing this for, like, no, you don't care about me either. You don't give a shit about me, bro. No, yeah, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm in a situation that I'm in, too. You really don't care about me. Yeah, but, like, I was smart. Like, I bought, I bought crypto with my unemployment when I was getting it. Like, oh, that's great. Smart, yeah. Like, I made, like, some smart decisions, right? Luckily, and I knew people that would help me out with that, but I'm like... Imagine, dude, imagine if you started like um, offering, imagine if like the city of Austin started investing in, in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. Imagine what it would do for their rainy day funds. I, imagine, need, to, like, I need to do more research on it. Yeah. Imagine, I, imagine if people start, imagine if you started offering tax breaks to people that paid each other in an appreciating asset. Imagine if you started having like black owned businesses. I, um, Cent, uh, Central Texas Gunworks, this guy Michael Cargill owns the, the gun shop and he's been accepting Bitcoin since 2014. Right. Imagine if you started like educating these these businesses to start accepting Bitcoin. Yeah. Imagine that, dude. It would change everything. But a lot of the people, a lot of these like leftists, these progressives, these quote unquote BLM groups, even they're not really BLM groups, but they adopt the name. You mm -hmm. know, they're like they don't want it. And I'm like, it makes you think. Why don't you want it? Why Why are you arguing with me about that? Why yeah, are you, you Why are you saying these communist who, platitudes? Who runs the BLM yeah, groups? Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's white folks that runs it. So it's not. They may have a black face on. I mean, just like the NAACP, a lot of people, a lot of white people think the NAACP was, was created by black people. It wasn't. It was, was it? created by white people. Wait, Booker T. Washington, though, was black. He can Google it. He can he can Google it. Google that. So who? I mean, the NAACP was created by white people. Was it? So who created it, though? Who, who <laughs> Do you know, I, I believe it's either them or it's another prominent, like the nation, some United Black, some league. They just had a they, they first black person on the board. Since their creation was like 50 years ago, the they just fuck? had their first black person on that board. What? And they have what? the United Negroes League Fund or whatever it's called. The college fund or something like that? Is uh, like, I no. can't remember what it was. He can Google um, it. You heard, have you heard of like the Boulets? Like what the fuck? <laughs> what? See, this is great what? stuff. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> have you heard of like the? I haven't done that much, but have you heard of like the Boulets? You're basically, you know, you're, t you're supposed to be your, your high-level, high-learning yeah. black people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah, got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, And it was, like, all of these, like, influential black thinkers and stuff were, like, part of this, like, secret society. And it's like, well, who do they answer to? Who are you answering to? Like, you're answering to these same bankers and the Bilderbergs and, C and the Rothschilds and the Warburgs and all these central bankers. So it's like this web is so crazy to unpack, man. Yeah, yeah it's... It's unfortunate, man, but anytime a person is poor and you give them something, they'll be indebted for you forever. Forever. And, and that's why they want to keep you poor.
they want to keep you poor. And, and this this vaccine card and these vac- and the way they're doing this vaccine, it's designed to do that. Oh, it man. is being designed to do that, and it's being designed like you're be you're the guinea pig. Yeah. I mean, I'm not because I'm, I'm, I'm not either. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm not taking. I'm not the guinea pig. I'm they not are. the guinea pig. I'm not about to get no blood clocks and you know one ball fall off and all that other stuff or shrink up. You know, or, you, or now you can't have kids anymore. You're sterile. That's what I mean. One ball fall off, dude. It's um, <laughs> you're already seeing studies about how like male fertility rates are dropping. Like it's all. You all know what, stuff. dude? Yeah. What if it's a big elaborate scheme that. All of this is caused to reduce the population. You, you think that's people have been saying that for years, but people are waking up to that. Of course, that's that's what's happening. Like when you really think about it, like it's population control. Our, our number one job when we come on this earth is do what? Procreate. Yeah, Reproduce. your job. Yeah, that's your job. So what they do? They make having kids expensive, right? Insurance, medical costs, all that. So it deters you from want to have children. You got to pay for them clothes. It's, you got to work like basically a slave to, to keep one well if you, if you want to live in the cities i think that there are a lot of areas that are still affordable yeah. and cheap that you can but then that, they ta- but, 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 they the, but they take the resources out of those places where you kind of got to go to the city to be able to well for commerce yeah you know? right right you don't want to do that all the time but i could theoretically like have a kid in san Marcos. i could live in buy a house in like san Marcos, new Braunfels, go to austin and pedicab and be okay like that's different <laughs> you know that's still not that far we're talking about like a rural a rural city. Like, like San Marcos yeah. is not no Tyler's not rural. It's still a pretty okay. good sized city. Right. Let's say somebody. Uh, I mean, you can't even think of Thrall or Lagrange Rockdale. And, or, yeah, yeah, like yeah. rural towns like that. You know, there's so, nothing. The ba- yeah, the banks and all the buildings are from the '90s. Nothing. Yeah, it's like you yeah. you have to leave time to go work. You know, so it's just a lot of that. Yeah, there's no job. You got to drive an hour into Austin to go to go work, right? Exactly. Or maybe if you're lucky, you go to Bastrop, right? Yeah. But chances are you're driving an hour into Austin, or if you live in Bastrop, you're driving you into drive Austin, Austin to go to work. Yeah, you are. Yeah, so there's a lot. And that's of, why they stay in Bastrop because it's less expensive. So they got to drive to Austin. You drive to Austin, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then all of a sudden now we're gonna do, they want to do carbon taxes and all this shit, and it's like now it's gonna be even harder to live in those communities, and they depend on you. To, it's like you know about the Agenda 2030 thing, right? No, I don't. How like the U- the UN they met up um like in the ni- in nineteen ninety two. Oh, I heard of that. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, for like the Agenda twenty one sustainable development goals, and it was basically urbanization building up, putting people into cities, centralizing all the medicine, all this stuff, right? That's yep. kind of they're trying That's to. That's what's going right on. Now. That's what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, and it was originally Agenda twenty one, and they pushed it back to Agenda twenty thirty, like right when Donald Trump got elected, because like oh fuck, we gotta have to um. That's why they got him out of there. You know? Yeah. That's why they yeah. got him out of there. Hey, before we wrap up, though, what do you think about what happened at the Capitol compared to like the BLM stuff? I mean, that's just that's that's a that's a microcosm of white supremacy, of what it looks like. If you want to know, if you want to draw it up, a video of what it looks like, just look at the difference, you know. And that's 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 the difference. I mean, can you imagine if black folks would have done that? At first of all, they wouldn't. Have, they even got that far. But can you imagine that? It would have been, been an all-out war. I'll put it to you this way: if a group of black people, if the BLM movement started um looting the the private for-profit universities if they started doing stuff with like the tech companies if they started going to demanded accountability from their government to actually like help working people genuinely or relieve the student debt or do things that actually help people there would be a lot less backlash from the human population versus destroying small businesses no 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 this this is what would happen it would get it would get spent because the media they would make it a race thing so they would say you know what white people this is our last chance we better unite or black people is going to take it over because look what they're doing. They're going to our tech companies. They're going to all of our banks. So that. So would, you think the media would just totally flip the script if they did that? That's what they did already. They've already done it. They're flipping it right now. 
vaccine. They flip it every time. It's, it's every time we, every time it's some progress, it gets flipped into what racist, racist stuff. Yeah. Because they know that's what gets us fighting with each other. Yeah. Look we got to We got to come together. Listen, before we wrap up, in 2009 with the Occupy Wall Street stuff, th that was getting pretty big. People were getting a lot of these CEOs were getting very scared about that, right? Mm -hmm. And you know what happened right afterwards? Mm -mm. The Huffington Post started writing about microaggressions and identity politics. <laughs> Every time. Every time. It's all. It's all. Uh, it's a simulation. Every time. Anyway, hey, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate um, it. How can we get a hold of you? Let's let's um get all that stuff out there. Oh man, you can contact me at nuclearathletes.com. I'm on Twitter, nuclearathletes Twitter, Facebook, same thing, nuclearathletes, and yeah, pretty much hit me up. All right, hey, Tim Crowder, ladies and gentlemen.